Welcome to Culture Confessions, the place for professionals to confess their cultural experiences. The views, thoughts, and opinions expressed belong solely to the individuals involved, not an employer, organization, committee, or any other individual. Culture Confessions aims to create an authentic and empowering atmosphere for every guest who chooses to join the show. Thank you for joining us today, and we hope that you enjoy. Hello, everyone. Thank you so much for joining us on another segment of Culture Confessions, the place for you to confess your diverse cultural experiences. We want people to feel comfortable expressing uh, either toxic, negative, or positive experiences that you've accumulated in your professional careers. And this is the platform to do it right now. And I am super, super excited to have Marty Noki today on Culture Confessions as a first-time appearance guest. Marty is an individual who uh, reached out to me via LinkedIn. He's a part of the Husky Pack at Bloomsburg University, a, a, an alumni and, and an individual who is oriented with the growth of all of those around him. And I believe that's, that's solidified upon the foundation of his faith. He's a former priest and someone who is dedicated to transformation and all aspects of the, of the term for not only the church, but society and culture overall. Marty is highly educated when it comes to theology and I think he is an individual that we can all learn from regarding his perspectives uh, of the depth of what we need to look into regarding our lives and the lives around us. So thank you very much, Marty, for joining us today. And I am very excited to have you. It's good to be here, Scott. <laughs> awesome. So uh, do you want to elaborate upon my brief introduction for our listeners regarding some of your prior experiences? Uh, postgraduate life from Bloomsburg up until this point in time? I can assure everyone that uh, we were not in school at the same time. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe uh, 20 some odd years apart from one another. Yeah. <laughs> I graduated from Bloomsburg in 1994. So it's been 26 years already. 26 years next week. Um, since I graduated from Bloomsburg and still uh, an important part of my own life as it is for you. So it's good to be able to connect with you through that connection. Um, yeah, so I spent um, 15 years as a priest, nearly 20 years if I count my time in education, because I did seven years of education prior to being ordained a priest. Um, and then 15 years in various locations, parishes, ran a retreat house. I taught um, for 12 of the years. And um, it's been a, an ongoing process for me of self-discovery and, and eventually found myself having to leave um, because of, as we, you talk about, is the sense of culture is very much a part of that experience. And uh, so that's what I'd like to maybe share with your listeners today. That would be wonderful, and and I appreciate your introduction and wrapping the 
correlating the the Husky connection and, and integrating it into the podcast segment that we have today. Any Husky out there, if uh, you ever feel like you need somebody to talk to, that your fellow Husky alumni are people you can reach out to. Marty and I have the difference in age, but that connection is still there through the university that we attended. So any former Husky that is still Husky or any Husky to be, remember that we have a large network, a huge pack that we can always rely on. And uh, that's something that I'm very grateful to, to be a part of. So Marty had alluded to the fact that there are some cultural experiences that he's been a part of, primarily in the church. And that's kind of a segue into our first question that, that I wanted to ask you today, Marty, which is, what is the most impactful, the most relevant cultural experience that you've been a part of in your life, either toxic, positive, or negative, uh, to any degree that you would like to confess today to all of those who are listening and, and uh, really keying in on every aspect of this dialogue. I guess there's some irony in the fact that it's called confessions. <laughs> Since I spent many years doing that. <laughs> 15 years listening. Um, yeah, because you know, people often ask, well, why did you leave? And my first answer is I left because I was sick. First of all, it was making me sick. Um, and so my body just kind of confirmed for me that it was time to move on. Um, and at least to get help at that point, I didn't know I was going to leave and not return at that moment. But um, it is, it, and most think it's because you have issues with teachings of the church and teachings of faith and so on and so on. But uh, most of that stuff could be dealt with on an intellectual level and you could deal with that. For me, it was, it was much more the experience of the, of the culture of the situation because we have this this tendency to think that because we're this institution we can't change like this is the way it is but in my world my mind my heart that's not the way the world operates it's not the way any of us operate um there always has to be that sense of growth uh, in our lives and when we can no longer grow which is how i felt um as i've likened it to you it's that it wasn't a glass ceiling it was very much a uh, steel ceiling trying to break through um, with people standing on top of it and so you lose that sense of creativity you lose that sense of of growth and awareness and I literally my body started to shut down it couldn't live within that environment anymore I mean I could now say I don't think it was my life to live I don't think someone like me necessarily fits if others do find it I know many people who are within it um, but for someone like me, it was just not a good fit to begin with because of that and because of who I am as a person, an ongoing learner and these other realities of who I am, uh, could not live with the sense of being trapped. And that's how it felt. That, that is such a powerful explanation of what you were going through. And to have a former priest on Culture Confessions, it, it it is very satirical in a way. However, it almost feels right because you're somebody who's been, like you alluded to, taking these, these confessions of, of, from many people who had this strife occurring in their life that 
was weighing them down and you were their outlet. And right now this is an outlet for you to, to walk through, walk everybody through who's listening uh, the aspects of, of priesthood and what, what can go along with that. It's not a, an experience that is, uh, I've, I've heard some of my Christian friends and associates allude to happy Jesus. And there's a lot of negativity that goes along with realizing who we are as human beings. So it's great to, to think about the happy side of religion and faith, but equally with life being a balance, we have to understand that there is sin that occurs. There is a lot of toxicity that can even be radiating out through a vehicle like the church that, that is a, a place for, for higher learning of faith and higher practicing of faith. And when you have a community that isn't focused on transforming or allowing its, its own members who have, who have nearly dedicated their entire, the entirety of their life to uh, a community, the respective community that you are operating in, uh, that, that just, that just feel, I can almost feel, when you said that steel ceiling on top of you, I could almost feel that. And, and to know that people, I mean, my, my interpretation, I'm not a, a scholar in theology. However, my interpretation of the church is that when you're within it, if there's the bad apple, uh, and this is a, a comparison to a, a prior segment <laughs> on culture confessions that we had, you're supposed to purge that from the church. Right. But what if the community is the bad apple itself and there's, there's the ripe apple in you who's trying to, to say, Hey, you know, we've, we've done a lot of great things. We've helped a lot of people overcome strife in their life and, 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 and hone in on the positivity of what life could be, but we can do it even better than we're currently doing it. When you have a restrictive set of, of, of uh, barriers put around you, that, that is seriously detrimental to your mental health because you're, you're almost not even thinking about yourself. You're thinking about everybody in the community and how they can be uplifted. And to, for you to, to get to a point where you feel like your body's shutting down, to, I take that as you, you gave your heart, your soul, your blood, sweat, and tears to trying to do everything you could possibly Absolutely. do. Absolutely. To, to, to try to figure it out in my head, but my body was telling me something very different. Mm. And I, I mean, I would just expand it as well because I don't think it's just a, a Catholic issue. I think it's very much a American Christianity um, has a, a serious problem with that, with their understanding of the bad apple, as you spoke of. There, There's no getting rid of the bad apple. It's just impossible to get rid of the bad. And we hear that even with the, the coronavirus. We have to eliminate the, the, this, the, this enemy that we cannot see. You can't. It, it, it's impossible because it's a part of who we are. I mean, I'm a good apple and a bad apple all at the same time. And it's not I so much there, about... Yeah, and American Christianity is very much trying to destroy the enemy. But all you really do doing that is destroy yourself in the process because it, it's a part of who you are. You, you learn to accept that you're not all things that this religious faith it, it tries to teach that it's just not a realistic theology i think it's a worked theology but that's very much an american christianity problem i believe and you hear that you you hear politicians use that kind of language as well they kind of hijack that language as well 
about destroying the enemy. The enemy's always beyond us. No, the enemy's right here. Um, and you learn to engage the enemy in a, in a healthier way in some ways. Because <laughs> you're not going to destroy it. You'll destroy yourself in the process. And that's kind of the, the position I found myself in. I had, I had to finally get to the point where it's like, this isn't my battle to fight. I'm not going to change the system. But I can make a change in my own life to say, it's not healthy for me. This is not a healthy thing for me. It doesn't mean I don't love faith. It doesn't mean I don't love the gospel. But I think in many ways, as you were just saying, I think it's been domesticated. We've lost the edge of the gospel. And uh, hopefully moments like this helps us to, to try to begin to pull us back a little bit into what really matters. I really love that your interpretation of the domestication of of the church and of Christianity with especially within the United States and I I have not I'll be completely honest and transparent I was a baptized Methodist as a child and I went to Sunday school however the church community that my parents tried to enter I remember sitting on on the pews in the back of the church because we we were in a in a community that that wasn't um, it didn't feel as open when when you walk through those doors you're expecting that embrace of of come in here and have your faith and have have your worship you know be allowed and regardless of where you've come from as soon as you step through these doors we accept you and it was it was weirdly you could almost feel feel the energy of it being the exact opposite correct my my mother uh struggled with trying to get us to to go but ultimately for her health she had to not integrate herself into that type of community due to all the other constraints that surrounded it, the cliques of the families that were going there. And this happens in a lot of small towns. However, that, that, that is, is, uh, that's the world that we live in. It's not just that, yeah. that church. It's not just the, the actual physical location. It's every uh, place that we're currently in, even virtually. Now that we have access to the smartphones and, and all the technology, um, so, so even at a young age, I, I was always thinking, why, why does this not feel right? It should feel right. But it never, um, it never, you know, was brought about within me to identify exactly what the issue was. And I think you're starting to, to circle around it that we need to accept that, you know, that toxicity is within ourselves. We can be negative. We're not perfect creatures. And, and, and what I was trying to allude to previously is I've, I've read parts of the it's it's heavy material to get through i've read genesis and exodus i started leviticus and i could only get 12 pages into the new testament because <laughs> it, it takes so much time for me to think about each aspect of of what's being relayed to us through text and one of the things that resonated with me greatly that i think applies very you know there's a lot of relevancy to it is right now for anybody who's watching on youtube for the video, I have a sword tie clip. And I was it, wondering about that tie clip. <laughs> it, it comes back to something that Jesus had said. He didn't come to bring peace. He came to bring the sword. And that's not an aggressive stance. That's a, a reality stance in my interpretation that it, it hurts to know that we're not perfect creatures. It hurts to know that we're, we can have toxicity or negativity. And that's the divide. People who want to stay attached to this perfect ideology of what we are, when in reality, it, the dissension is going to arise when we start to 
pull this toxicity out into the open and identify it. And creating the parallels between business with that, just because you don't accept the toxicity that's being pointed out doesn't mean it doesn't exist. So that first step is the acceptance of what's existing and, you know, putting the procedures into place that can help us deal and first accept the, the toxicity or negativity and find a new path to uh, removing it from affecting the positivity, which is what we should be focusing on. So that's, that's add, something that's yeah, resonating with me. Yeah, I would add one thing because when I was, when I finally made the decision to leave when I did because of my health, I remember um, talking to a counselor at the time who I've known for years and he had, uh, we were talking about where do I go? What do I do? Because obviously it was kind of a crazy moment. I had to make decisions right away in, the, in those times. But I'll, I'll never forget the words he told me. He said, um, if you want to return, you're going to have to ask yourself, can you accept the church for the way it is? Not the way you want it to be, not the way you think it should be, or any of those other realities. This is the way it is. And I'll never forget those words because I, I have gone back to them many times the past year and a couple months at this point and said, why would I put myself back into a situation that was literally making me sick? I'm not going to change it. And so it really does come down to what battles are you willing to fight, but what battles can you fight um, that will bring about change? And some you just can't do. You're just not going to change an institution that's unwilling to change, first of all, and is so blind to the way it is that it's impossible. It's impossible for when you're that close to something to see what the problem is. Because the, the, your belief that it's already perfect. Correct. It's, it's, just, it's the same thing that an individual, a church, an organization, a community, when we, when we can't, again, identify that toxicity, it, it makes it so much harder to, to figure out a way to transform. And one of our our initial conversations, you mentioned transforming, and it's not about destroying the foundation of what's already in place. It's about looking at some of the dead wood that that's been occurring in the foundation of a structure and how we can replace that to make it stronger, not to, to bring it down, to have it t come tumbling and crashing down. That's the last thing that we want. We want to build up and transform and evolve and have organic collaboration between everybody involved within the community and organization i uh i i, I had and the, and the fear of it crashing is an ego thing that it's not going to crash. the real is not going to crash the ego wants you to believe that it's going to crash you as you know in in your work there's not only my own personal ego an institution an organization has its own ego that it's working off of that's really what you try to dismantle in order to change the culture. But that ego is very strong and always finds a way to, to transform itself, to try to protect you from change. And it's usually fear. Fear is a, a vehicle for deception. Yep. And deception is ultimately what's preventing people from seeing the reality. You can say it's the veil that's covering our eyes. You could interpret it as, uh, a, an enemy, whether it's uh, obviously with uh, biblical teaching, it, it, it's either the, the demon, devil, Satan, whatever you want to identify the enemy as, it, it, 
everything remains the same. There's still a force out there that's trying to perpetuate the, the opposite of righteousness and good. And uh, again, I, I'm, for those listening, I'm not somebody who studied theology. However, I am super appreciative of the individuals such as Marty, who, who has dedicated his life to figuring out a way to build upon what's already in place, not to take away. That's, again, taking away is not the answer. But when we can transform the things that are currently in place, we'll find less suffering and less hate and less toxicity in that environment. Marty, what, was well, there any another, another way to just say, because I also don't want to say the ego is a bad thing. Um, you know, our, our ego is formed when we're children as a way to protect ourselves from hurting ourselves. You know, our parents don't want us to get hurt. That's why, you know, you don't put the hand, your hand on the stove more than once. That's, it's a way to protect you. It's just that that ego cannot continue as an adult because you're still thinking like a, a child rather than living in an adult world. And that's the tension I think we offer. We are certainly finding ourselves in, in many ways, going through this pandemic. Mm. That, that's extremely insightful. And the, the, the whole the analogy of your hand on the stove, you would be having your hand on the stove if you kept yourself in that environment. Was there any type of tactic that in our initial conversation, you had alluded to a few things you had attempted to do. You didn't just run away. You were, you were trying to fight to stay within the environment uh, for A, for change, B, for your passion of, of your faith. Is there anything that, that you tried to do to, to, to change the environment that you were in? I was able to change what I was able to change. <laughs> but mindful, there, there's a work environment that all of you are used to, any listener is used to. There's the environment that I worked in that was also my life. And so those two weren't always separated. I was also living this 24-7 because of the nature of the vocation. You're living in it. Um, I could change an office environment, which often was a matter of um, sometimes shuffling people. So as you know, sometimes people are in the wrong job and you, you, you shuffle them around to a better fit. And just little changes like that can begin to change the culture in an office environment because people feel like they're contributing in some ways that they may not have been able to before uh, because they weren't necessarily in the right fit. And so I was able to do that. But once I finished that, I would quickly move to the next assignment because I was unhappy. I kept running from my own life at that point. Um, but I knew I can go to another place and fix it in some quote unquote fix it um, because I was really good at that. And I liked to do it. I thought it was that really was about transformation and recognizing where are the bad apples and what do you do? How do you tweak these, these situations uh, to help people become more conscious of the choices that were being made? Certainly financially, they, I mean, every nonprofit knows what it's like to, uh, you can't misuse money. You have to do it wisely. You have to do it ethically. You have to do it in a, in a way. And so that was always a contributing factor. You can't just be spending willy-nilly. Uh, and so how can you kind of bring all those things in line with what the vision is, this vision of transformation? Uh, and when I, I think once you can begin to kind of realize that's the real foundation, um, the other stuff that falls away, falls away. The real foundation is that, is that sense of transformation and growing and becoming better. 
uh, a lot of the stuff begins to fall in place. It starts at top, obviously. I mean, I had to come in with that mindset as a pastor, as a director, as an educator. Um, and so it was a little easier for me because that was already my mindset and is my mindset. Uh, where I could understand why it might be more difficult for other people who don't necessarily have that intuition to begin with. Uh, does that answer your question? Yeah, absolutely. The whole transformation and if you, if you form those parallels between an organization taking a professional who is unhappy in a certain position and trying to avoid the expenses, sometimes the crippling expenses when you have uh, low budget certainty, especially in the time of a pandemic, to a new position that may empower them to transform into who they are meant to be. Uh, do, do you think the empowerment aspect is key in that transformation and allowing the individual to make those changes? Because you're not the one who's going to do it for them. You're just the guiding hand to make sure they, they align in place. Yeah, I think I told you I did a scrum master training maybe two months ago or something before all this started, which seemed like ages ago at this point. Um, and the whole idea of that is cross-functionality. It's about trust. It's about empowerment. And I had no trouble believing it because I already believed it. I already understand that. It, I've been in a position where I have also felt micromanaged by other people, which is very hard because it feels like you don't trust me. It feels like you're not giving me the power to, to make decision and to be responsible. And so, yeah, I think it is key. It opens you up to failure. It opens you up to making mistakes. But as we were talking before we came on here, it also squashes creativity when you try to take that sense of empowerment away from people. I don't know why anyone would want to work in a city in a place like that. I know many people that do, but uh, all those things are necessary. It, it, it's good, not only good for the person, it's good for the organization. And then that radiates and permeates throughout the communities. You, you reference that you don't know why. I, I feel like I may have an answer. We're creatures of habits. So we get used to, <clears throat> there was a work, a work environment I was a part of that radiated toxicity throughout it. And the, the way the grapevine worked and how people talked about each other, it was almost infectious. Like you could not differentiate yourself from that type of dialogue. However, work was still being completed and profit was still being made. But how much profit potential was lost, in speaking from business terms here, when, when people who are hardworking individuals aren't able to reach their highest capacity level for operation. And, and then that's, that's, you know, resonates throughout the community. There's less finances that are being pumped into the, the, uh, the sphere of influence around that, that organization and, and how much money they're able to put back into uh, any, any aspect of their operations outside of their, their employee payment. And, and it comes back to, to, to just, I, I feel like acceptance is such a big thing. And you talking about like, I, I'm glad that you that we're talking that we've referenced the bad apple because I uh, I had referenced in in our prior segment on culture confessions toxicity and a bad apple about how some people say fire and kick that bad apple out of the barrel higher higher fast fire faster is the the old uh, business terminology that that people uh, like to utilize right now nurture culture is trying to create a tool a toxic environment procedure for how we can create the steps and use tools to 
have firing be last resort because it shouldn't be just take that rod and apple and throw it out. And it, 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 we can breathe life back into people who, who are honestly very powerful when it comes to their capabilities. And there's obviously occurrences where, yes, you do have to purge people from an organization or a community. Right. And, and that, that is, is dealt with when that arises. But why are we just taking the easy road of, of saying, we'll just move on? Because that team member, like you, you said pre- previously, could actually be uh, one of your highest performers in another position. So th- this analysis and, and trying to identify, is it, is it the environment itself that's causing this toxicity? Is it the in- individual? Is it something in the individual's life that's radiating into their professional life? There's so many factors that go into this. And the, the macro would be it's just society itself. That's what we're dealing with right now. Uh, the deception, uh, misinformation, people don't know what's going on, uh, a lack of faith that the sun will rise. Uh, we, we have to really try to realign with the human spirit of, you know, that sun is going to rise tomorrow. We're going to take our bumps and our bruises along the way, but we have a new day tomorrow to continue to build. And we want those obstacles. We want that the mistakes to happen because we learn from them. Even the negativity allows us to see a new way to be positive. That's an opportunity to grow, to transform, to not only empower ourselves, but to empower everybody that we're interacting with. And that, that, that's my two cents on it. And, and I know. Yeah. And I, I'm certainly not naive. Sometimes you do have to let people go. I've been in that situation, depending on circumstances. Some people are not open to growing. Some are not open to changing and it just doesn't work. But I, I've also at times said to the person, is there something better for you? Like, can we begin this process uh, of at least, maybe this isn't the right fit, but is there something else that we could help you get to in order to better suit you as a person rather than just tossing them out on the street? Cause I, and I, don't, I only know from my own experience, we have a tendency to just toss them out without really, really telling them the truth. No one wants to tell the truth. <laughs> so we tell a story and avoid the truth. <laughs> That's such a great identification there of of how important the truth is. We talk about facts or fake news, and regardless of anybody's perception of a situation, there's still truth in every situation that's occurring. And whether that's the individual, the, the team, or the organization, identifying that truth is a starting point so we can figure out the path to change and transformation. I, I I think this is a very insightful segment on culture confessions. And usually we, we try to outweigh some of the toxicity with some positivity. So I wanted to ask you another question, Marty. Is there a more... Can I, can I add one thing there before you... Yeah, of course, of course. Because I thought of something as we're speaking here. I, and I'll use your language. There was at one point I asked a, a priest what he thought, who works with priests, what he thought was the biggest issue in this culture that we live, that I was living in. And he said he thought, and I, it could be the same in, in a work environment. He thought it was resentment that we never deal with that. That's where a lot of the negativity and toxicity comes from is this resentment because we don't, we don't empower people. And I think all of the, you know, at least as a priest, it was, all right, you're entering into this environment 
we've been here longer than you. We've been loyal to this. You either fit yourself in or too bad. And I think that's where that resentment sometimes grows. And I think that I, I would say it's probably similar in many work environments as well. It's, it's this or get lost. That's a, that's a wonderful point to make resentment. And I, and I hope everybody doubles back if you haven't already to, to listen to some of this high quality material that's being discussed and articulated upon by you, Marty. Thank you for, for giving such insightful examples. And but the question I, I, was, I was working on asking was, is there a positive experience you want to incorporate into this segment so we can outweigh some of the, the negativity and the identification of the toxicity? Because that's what we really want to hone in on is that positivity so it can resonate throughout the world. And just by identifying it and, and understanding that it still exists can make a world of difference. But the dark arts are so much more fun to deal with. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, isn't that what Harry Potter had to do? They had to learn the dark arts. Defense against <laughs> the dark arts. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, as you know, when I left, I ended up at a farm hmm. and I'll say their name, Bethlehem Farm in West Virginia. Others in West Virginia, which is in the middle of nowhere. Uh, and I had no idea where I was going and what I was doing. Um, but if I had to, if there was saving grace in, the, in this whole experience for me, it was going there. It was because of the culture that existed there where you, ex you were accepted for who you are. They recognized your value. They accepted your value. They helped utilize you in ways that they that even i wasn't aware i mean i didn't know what a lot of what i was able to do uh and they managed to find that spot for me to to do what i was doing and also at the same time from the faith perspective lived on the edge of the gospel they understood that it was about transformation um i just wrote it on my blog the past week um uh, for the fundraiser for Giving Tuesday, which was a couple of days ago, uh, that it was their message there is always welcome home. And when I left there, they had asked me about that experience. And I said, it was about finding home within myself. It was about finding that, that real foundation, that real grounding. And I don't know if I'd be where I am today without them. Like I, I am extremely great, grateful for that group of people who really became a family to me the past year. And I love the work. I mean, it was great working with your hands and playing in the dirt. and I feel that. <laughs> planting and cooking and all the other stuff. Um, because they, they welcome in high school and college students from around the country to learn about sustainability, organic farming, poverty in rural America. And, uh, and so it also allowed me to work with um, young people, which I love to do as well. So... Uh, yeah, I couldn't say enough positive about them. That's such a polarity being in the the commu the family that you thought you would be in, and that in the, in the original vocation that you were part of, being in a church community, and you got back out into the world. You got hands on. You were working with the next generation, uh, potentially a couple generations of individuals, and who you're affecting uh, based on how you showed the people you were interacting with who were younger 
how they can also affect the people down the line as they go throughout their life. I mean, that is, is super powerful. And for, for our listeners who don't know, Hero's Descent is your blog. Is, am I correct on that, Marty? Correct, correct, yeah. On WordPress. Heroesdescent.wordpress.com. <laughs> I, I recommend that everybody checks Hero's Descent out. And Marty is also going to be giving Nurture Culture some of his time to elaborate upon trust. Trust was mentioned earlier in our segment, and that's going to be an article that's going to be featured on Nurture Culture's blog in the, in the, in the coming weeks. And again, we recommend that everybody reads this phenomenal, in my opinion, Marty, you have a phenomenal writing style. The depth Thank you. Of, of what you're looking to get across, I think is really needed because we live in a watered down, one of my really close friends and somebody who I look up to, she says that a lot of life is watered down and that's what people are accepting. And I think the, the watered down nature has just been, we've become accustomed to it. So when you see that depth, you're almost averse to it at first, but in reality, that's what you should be immersing yourself in. And I, I look forward to having that published on Nurture Culture's uh, blog, Trust is the article name. And I know that every other blog post you have on Heroes Descent has that same level of depth. So for people out there who are listening, if, if you really want to dive into something that may resonate with you deeply, please check out Marty's work. And, and I'm sure you're going to be very, very pleased with giving your, your time and attention to, to quality material. Yeah, think about the environment we live in where we don't trust anyone. We don't trust religious leaders. We don't trust politicians. We don't trust anyone. I mean, it is a huge issue that we are facing. Who do you believe? Who's telling you the truth? Who's being honest with you? It is a huge problem that we find in our world, in our, in our culture, a breakdown of that trust. Wow, this, this is some powerful stuff, Marty, and I thank you for joining us. Before we wrap it up on this segment of Culture Confessions, is there any motivator, any type of inspiration you would like to, to leave with our listeners so that it can resonate with them after they're finished with listening to this episode? Do you mean beyond you? <laughs> beyond me? <laughs> yeah. You're the great motivator. <laughs> I, I, need, I, need a, I need a peer who knows aspects of motivation. And, and I would love to hear, you know, based on your experiences, some, some inspiration from you. I'll, I'll tell you what my mantra has been, working, because I have worked so often with younger people. And my mantra always was, don't settle for less. Don't keep settling. And we have a tendency to settle. We settle thinking we have to work a certain job. We settle thinking we have to be in a certain relationship. We settle in so many ways when we know deep down it's not right for us. And if, if anything kept me going during some dark days of my life, it was that, like, that message that I was giving to everyone else was beginning to resonate within my own heart. And so don't settle. Don't settle in life uh, when there's so much, you only have one crack at all of this and make it the best you can. Uh, it doesn't mean take advantage of people. It doesn't mean step on people because for me, it really is about servant leadership. I, I mean, I think that's 
the core of any kind of a decent leader. Um, but don't settling is about being true to yourself. And I think that would be my, my motivation for anyone is to, to don't settle and be true to who you are and you'll do well. I, I appreciate you giving those words of wisdom. Don't settle everybody. If you're listening right now, please strive for greatness. Good is the enemy of great. You can be what you choose to be by not settling because there is a tomorrow that you can strive for, for bettering yourself and those around you and the community that you're in and ultimately the society that we're all currently living in as a whole. Marty, thank you so much for joining us today on Culture Confessions. Oh, thank you. This was absolute, absolutely an amazing segment, and I'm very, very appreciative and grateful to have you be a, be a part of, of this expanding content. It was a, a good confession. <laughs> and we'll leave it off on that. Thank you very much, Marty. <laughs> thank you. If you haven't already, please make your way over to our website, www.wenurtureculture.com. Check out our blog and events pages for culture topics and related culture events. Also hit that follow button on Facebook, LinkedIn, Twitter, YouTube, Anchor, and yes, everybody, we are on TikTok. We are growing our channels through your support to provide as much quality content and value to you as we are currently able. Thank you for listening, and we're looking forward to getting some more content out to you as soon as possible. Have a great day. We nurture your culture so that you don't have to.